Welcome to The Rebellious Investor, the podcast that cuts through all the noise surrounding investing, property, mindset, and building your successful life. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to today's episode of, or another episode of The Rebellious Investor. Hey, how, are you, how are you doing, Matt? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Great. Episode number three here. Wow. We've made it this far. Number we're, three. And we're here with Eleanor from Dwell Nicely. Lovely to have you, Eleanor. Eleanor, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself. Hi, guys. Thank you very much for having me on today. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Eleanor and I have an app called Dwell Nicely. Um, we are essentially a platform for la- landlords to meet tenants, but it's all gone a bit deeper than that recently. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to have a chat with you today. Yeah. So when I was looking at the app, it's a little bit like, not that I've ever used it cause I, the dating apps were before my, after my time, they weren't around when I was dating. So the whole idea of this swipe left and swipe right, that kind of what you've got with landlords and yeah, potential tenants. Exactly. We were trying to uh, modernize the process and we thought, you know, you can swipe left, swipe right to find your ideal partner. Why not your ideal property? kind of speeds the process up, means you're not having to apply, uh, fill out lots of forms again and again and again. It's literally just swipe, swipe, swipe. <laughs> and so is it just for the tenant to swipe or is the landlord no, swiping? Yeah. Oh, wow. Both swiping, yeah. And we go across sort of rooms, rooms to let as well. Yeah. Um, so we thought that kind of fitted in nicely with the, the swipe function. Excellent. And then so before you launched uh, Dwell, what were you doing before that? Give us the backstory. Uh, so I've tried my hand at a couple of different things. I was in finance for 11 years, working in superannuation. Uh, didn't really fill my soul with passion. Um, so I left that and opened a couple of restaurants. I had a few restaurants here in Sydney, uh, a couple of cafes, uh, and a fine dining Lebanese restaurant. Oh, wow. So I was doing that for about five years, um, and I loved it. Like I loved working for myself. I loved the variety, um, especially the marketing side and the social media side and, you know, coming up with new ideas of getting the word out there. And we did a lot of really cool things at the restaurants. We did like fashion show brunches and uh, fancy dress dog catwalks. <laughs> and, uh, like it just really gave me the opportunity to be creative, which I think was something that was kind of, uh, deep down inside of me, but, you know, didn't get to come out in finance, working in an office nine to five. Um, so then I decided I wanted a family. Can't really do that whilst running through restaurants. Okay. <laughs> um, so I sold out and started a family and then uh, went back to finance, where I slowly died again. <laughs> um, and it was when I was on maternity leave, actually, that I... Um, or a little bit before maternity leave that we started creating Dwell um, and the the process of creating an app took a really long time. Um, And then, um, yeah, so then we launched in 2019. I was on maternity leave. I was loving life, looking after my baby and doing all these cool things for Dwell. Um, And, yeah, just working for myself again was so much more rewarding than sitting in an office. I mean, you're, you're saying that your, your background is investment and finance. I yeah. mean, you're a, you're a chartered 
financial analyst, yeah. correct? You don't need research. <laughs> yeah, now that's not an easy profession to just, you don't just stumble into that profession. No. That's a pretty rigorous, pretty challenging, even just to become a chartered um, financial analyst is just no mean feat. That takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it's a three-year course. You do it whilst you're working full-time, yep. obviously, and it's full-time study pretty much. Uh, I've always been kind of good at exams, though. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> like, I'm one of those people I can just kind of read something and then go sit the exam and just be like... Yep. Um, so, because I did, I did uh, like, finance and maths at university, so I had that base mm -hmm. knowledge, and I kind of sailed through the first couple of years of the, the CFA... Um, I struggled a bit with my third year because that was much harder and because I'd sailed through the first two years, I didn't <laughs> do enough work. <laughs> I spent half my year on holiday, sat the exam, failed massively um, and then had to come back to it. But yeah, I mean, I thought numbers was my game, you know, I thought that's what I was going to be doing forever. And, you know, you think finance is a secure way to build a future and... I guess when you're a bit younger, you're not necessarily thinking about what's going to fill you with passion a lot of the time. You're thinking yeah. about how can I make a stable income, especially maybe not so much the, the newer generation coming out of uni now, but my generation, that's, you know, that's what our parents told us to do. Yeah, so. absolutely. <laughs> it's so interesting that you say that. Just last week we were speaking with uh, Uncle Nathan and we were talking about the dilemma that young people have today in terms of, you know, from 15 to 18, trying to decide what they're going to do for the rest of their lives. And it sounds like from your story that you're very good at math, good at business. You know, that was sort of something that came really easy to you. So you just went into yeah. that in terms of a career for uh, at university. But then with a couple of different uh, or different years of uh, work experience, you decided that, hang on a second, yes, math comes easy to me but am I actually passionate about working in an office and with numbers and there was a bit of a disconnect there and I think I think it's um it's really interesting how people really um find it like you come across as a really bubbly friendly people person not the actuarial type of math numbers <laughs> and from the little time that we sort of spent together so it's very interesting how your personality and then what you were gifted at were, were maybe yeah. a bit different yeah, they didn't sit well together at all. And I actually, so as a teenager, I, I did a lot of modelling. And then I was going to go to university to study American studies because I was obsessed with the US. And I just wanted to do that semester in the US. So for two years, I was planning on going to university to do American studies. And it's not till I sat down to fill out the form, I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to get a job with a degree in American studies. Yeah. So it's literally that last second, I was like, okay, now I'm going to do that instead. And just ticked a different box in the form. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so when, you, when you chose to, to, I guess, pivot and you went from, you know, the whole superannuation space, investment portfolios, a whole lot of numbers and et cetera, et cetera, and then starting the restaurant side of things, what attracted you to go into that particular space and what, what strengths and talents did you bring that you'd had mastered over the years before and that you brought to that table? Yeah, so I love food. Okay. I'm a massive foodie, I love, food I love yeah. cooking, yep. something like my grandma, my mom did with me, my dad, like we're a big family of foodies. Um, so it's kind of, you think it's logical in your head, I really like food, I enjoy cooking, I'm going to open a cafe. Doesn't work. <laughs> um, so what I ended up doing for the cafe, uh, there, were, there were three sort of partners in it. Um, so I was responsible for the accounting, for okay. the, yeah, sure. the yeah. finance side, uh, as well as the, like, the marketing, the HR, the legal. 
Um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to wear so many hats. Yes. Um, and I actually wasn't, although some of my recipes were used, um, you know, you have to get proper chefs to do that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I, I was kind of more of the, the back office finance person in that trio. Well, there's certainly a system in cafes and being a restaurateur in terms of the food that you're preparing and ordering needs to go across multiple different um, dishes that you're trying to serve to yeah. minimise wastage as much as possible. Uh, and I think this is also where people try and turn a passion that they have into a, a business and they find out, well, there's actually a technical skill around yeah. that as well that they, they may be missing. And I think a lot of people go, oh, how hard can it be to run a cafe? Like it, well, any business is really, really difficult, the technical side of it. So yeah, that's interesting that you found that. Were there any other things or any other bits of advice that you would give to someone who's thinking about going into the cafe or restauranting business? You just have to love it and you have to love all of it. You can't just love the food. You can't just love one aspect of it because you're going to have to get your hands into every single part of it particularly the people side, mm. you know, like working with people, bringing out the best in people, finding great staff and, you know, finding out how to make them happy so they want to stick around. There's obviously a massive shortage um, of hospitality staff at the moment, but before lockdown, it was chefs in particular. Um, so you have to you have to be willing to fight every day for yeah. your dream, you know. So you, you, have, you have to love it. Um, and, and by the end, you know, as I mentioned, I wanted to start a family and I just wasn't loving yeah. it enough anymore. You know, you do you do 100 hour weeks um, and in order to roll out of bed when you've only had like three hours sleep to, to get up and do it all again. Like you have to just really love it. Yeah. I mean, uh, another buddy of mine, Shay, we've, we've talked about over many a couple of drinks about starting our own deli. <clears throat> Because we love the cheeses and the cold yeah. meats and the breads, and we're going to start chain raised deli. And my wife goes, "No, no, no! You, you, you're going to go broke because all you're going to do is invite people to come in, sit down, share some food. You love eating the food, right? And you will not sell anything. You will yeah. just have a good time." Um, but you know, so it's like I guess the whole idea is that when you're, you're doing these kind of enterprises, it's that sweet nexus point that pluescent part of the flame where everything kind of comes together, your strengths, your passions, all of it. And if you can somehow monetize it, you've won the jackpot. Yeah. But not everybody can find that and often requires a number of pivots yeah. in life. Like you said, you, you came to that point when it came to the cafe and the restaurants, you wanted a lifestyle change, you wanted to have a family, so that didn't fit. Uh, and then, you know, you went back into finance, you realized that's not, again, what you really wanted to go back into. And then you started... Um, dwell nicely the app the app yeah and like did you have like what motivated you or got you to start that was it you had an experience with it you have experience with property uh, so I'm a landlord and a tenant myself yes. so yeah. I have property back in the UK and I'm a tenant here in Australia I found the whole process of being a tenant incredibly difficult in Australia um, so there was no rental crisis 11 years ago there were plenty of properties but as an expat, I found it difficult to, to get one because I had no rental history in Australia. Mm. Um, and then through those 11 years, having my property managed back in the UK, so paying somebody a lot of money because I'm not there, I have to have it fully managed. Um, and then just having them do nothing. <laughs> like uh, I've had two tenants who just didn't pay their rent, disappeared. I've had other tenants that have completely destroyed the property. There must have been no inspections going on. And it was just frustrating for me, you know. And 
Um, you know, so I'd complain to my friends and they'd say, oh, yeah, you know, I've had a similar experience. Um, and I was, you know, I was on maternity leave. I was bored. I was just thinking, thinking, thinking. And I thought, you know, how can we, how can we change this? How can we make it better? Like, there's got to be a better way. Um, so, so the idea then was um, to look at Airbnb as an example. You know, you've got random strangers staying in your house. Yes. How how do they manage that? How do they how do they get that trust? Yeah. Um, and then I watched a TED talk about the currency of trust. I can't remember who gave it now. Um, but they were just saying about how, you know, the, the currency of trust is, um, it's, you know, it's becoming the way we deal because Absolutely. so much is online. Mm. And I thought, okay, so I just need to, to marry those two things together. So we'll implement the ratings and reviews, um, but for the long-term rentals. Uh, and in that way, you know, hopefully we can bring a bit of trust back and then um, we commissioned some research to find that just landlords and tenants do not trust each other, do not trust the agents, you know, that there's yeah. little trust. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a very adversarial relationship sometimes when you've got uh, a landlord there obviously supplying the property but then trying to minimise the cost, the ongoing cost of managing that property so they can make as much profit as possible yeah. and then you have tenants who are then trying renting that place and they want the best home possible for them and their families. So you have this sort of adversarial um, competition with each other to try and get things done as they can. And then this agent is sort of stuck in the middle trying to keep everybody happy. Um, and the communication flow between all three of those parties is at times very difficult yeah. um, and can create quite a lot of tension because, you know, if the water turns, if a hot water breaks in your home, like you can't bath your children. You basically have to turn off water to the whole house or apartment, and that creates a massive impact on your family right now and then. And the only thing, like as a, a tenant, that this has happened to, the only thing that you want is that fixed, yeah, like immediately, because your life has now been turned upside down. Kids want to do things. Your wife wants it fixed ASAP, and then it's your responsibility to get that sorted. And then it always happens on the weekend. Yeah, always a Sunday. <laughs> it's always on a Sunday. Yep. So it's very difficult to get that actually actioned uh, moving forward. So I guess how does Dwell solve some of those issues? Um, well, just on that point, so there was a survey conducted recently by Tenants Union New South Wales that found, I believe it was 74% of tenants didn't feel able to report issues, maintenance issues, because of a fear of reprisal. So obviously in yep. New South Wales we have still have the no grounds eviction notice and tenants are afraid that if they say oh this broke they're going to be thrown out 74 percent yeah that's tenants. Right. Like, yep, that's absolutely. insane wow. but that goes against mm. the landlord because the landlord wants to know if there's a problem so they can fix it before it causes further problems mm. right so you have this just imbalance and and i think you know a lot of mistrust comes from that um, so with, with Dwell, I mean, we, we have a maintenance request feature that runs through the app. So the tenant's able to raise a maintenance request in the app. Um, and then they have the, they are the only ones that have the ability to close that. So that they don't need to close it until it's fixed to their satisfaction. Um, and obviously your, your dealing tenant is dealing directly with the landlord. So there's no real estate agent, um, I mean, this this is aimed towards self, man, you know, landlords that want to manage the property themselves. They're obviously trying to cut costs, um, so you know there is there is that um, 
element of being contacted on a Sunday um, to potentially fix your investment property. But at least then, you know, the relationship flows so much better. There's, mm. there's communication. It's all kept in one place. And um, and then, you know, you have this this backup of the, the reviews. Um, so it kind of just makes each party want to do the right thing by, by one another. And just makes them responsible as well because yeah. if you're making a request for maintenance or if you're not paying rent on time, well, that's all going to be then catalogued there in your um, communication. And I guess then when each of them are doing the reviews, people can actually see the honest uh, impact that that's going to have when you want to go and get a new tenancy, um, whether you're either the landlord or uh, the renter. I think exactly. that yeah, I think that happens a lot. Some tenants move into places and and they they're stuck for then a year with a, a landlord that is potentially just not doing anything for their particular property. Uh, yeah, so some horror stories on on both sides. <laughs> yeah, and and have you found it? Because I mean, I would have thought that um, the majority of landlords would prefer to have an intermediary. It's not necessarily their forte. Um, people think I'm just going to buy an investment property. And they know it's like starting a business, like you were saying before about starting a restaurant business or a cafe, but just because yeah. it sounds like a good idea yeah. and all of a sudden, click your fingers, you've got all the skill sets required to run and own a restaurant or a cafe, no different to owning a property, you know? It's like they get surprised when there is an issue that needs to be repaired or something needs to be maintained or something breaks, like, oh my God, what? That wasn't factored in, that's not meant to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, and, the, and like you were saying before, man, that creates that tension. But I, I would have thought that a lot of landlords don't actually go in with that knowledge and understand how to properly look after, proactively rather than reactively, yeah. look after a property um, to provide a great tenant experience. Because if your tenant has a great experience, good chance they're going to look up the property. If they get to treat it like a home, how have you found that with the, with the landlords taking up the you know the use of the app? Um, it's definitely a challenge, and you know there's there's other there's other competition out there. There's other there's other yeah. platforms, um, and so the the self managed market of landlords it is it's about a third yeah. about a third of landlords, and yeah. it is growing. Mm -hmm. um, so you know there are more and more landlords across Australia that that want to do this themselves. Um, but you're right, a lot a lot do feel more sort of protected if they have that um, that person in the middle. So we're actually building out the platform uh, across our website at the moment to allow um, property managers to, okay. to list on the platform also. Yeah. Um, so that we can just sort of widen widen the target market yeah. and you know and facilitate that through the platform as yeah. well. Um, because it's it's a it's a personal choice and I guess you know there are things that we could do to help landlords, self-managed landlords, mm. which, you know, we kind of do, we guide them through the process, we allow them to meet their legal obligations in a, you know, step-by-step -step way. Um, but you, there's always going to be things that jump out at them. I mean, you know, if, if there's a maintenance issue, Dwell's not going to go and fix it for yeah. them, you know, that they have to take on yeah. that responsibility. And and that's a personal choice. Um, so, so, yeah, I think for us, it's about, it's about, guiding those landlords that have already made that decision. Yeah, yeah. But it's like you say, Matt, you know, nobody's going to look after your money better than you. Yeah. We still often trust somebody else to look after it because we don't necessarily have all the skills, but at least you've invested some time in understanding what you want to do with your money. People who have no idea, it's like, what, what are you doing? And it's the same thing with property. And I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of people out there who are really looking to put on more of a property entrepreneurial kind of mindset and say, hey, I'm looking at this as a business, as a long-term investment strategy is going to create ongoing passive wealth, finances, cash flow, the whole lot. Yeah. And I want to know what's going on. 
I want to create a great experience for my for my tenants so that they are you know uh, going to give me a great like you said your, your rating structure and your rating system yeah um, but to take a bit more of a hands-on involvement and understand that looking after property being proactively involved is always going to be better than acting you know being reactive. Yeah, look, I think as a tenant and a landlord, so I sit on both uh, sides of that fence as well, um, it, it would be great if I could just fix the handle. You know, if I could just make small repairs around the house um, to keep it up to the standard that we want to live in. But you then have these issues with when things get changed, um, when you're moving out, you can have issues with tribunal, et cetera, et cetera. But if you have this personal relationship with the landlord where you've been communicating with back and forth, then I guess there's that you build a lot more trust in that yeah. relationship ongoing. And then so when the landlord, I say, hey, I'm just going to fix this over here. And then we go, yep, no problem. Send me a pre-photo, send me a post-photo, and then away you go. And that makes the time for me a lot faster to get whatever that issue is fixed and then also for the landlord saves them money so i guess it's a win-win on on both sides have you thought about um having uh, your platform so that actually you can get tradesmen on on board and then a rating on different tradesmen in different areas as well definitely it's something that we're we're looking at at the moment um so initially um we've been doing a bit of research around other companies that are already doing that um, we've reached out to a couple and had some initial discussions about just kind of utilising their services first. They already have all these tradespeople um, on their platforms, sometimes with ratings. Um, so that's that's probably the, the avenue that will go down initially. Um, but yeah, being able to facilitate that process through the app, even if we are then pointing people off to a third party, I think it's important to just be able to you know manage it all in one spot Oh, definitely. That's That would definitely be what the um, landlord is looking for. They don't want to be having to use multiple different apps to manage their property portfolio. And I guess with most investors, they have just that one um, property. But if those more sophisticated investors that have got three, four, five, what's the general take up on your platform? Have you got people who have just got one property they're managing or they're t- t- running this like a, a business and they've got three or four or five and then they're self-managing those? Uh, I would say it's mainly people with just the one. So like your, your mom and dad landlords. Um, that's definitely the, you know, the, the bulk of our landlords on there at the moment. But we're, we're actually doing some work as well with um, the build-to-rent, so the, the yeah. build-to-rent industry. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got two buildings open in Australia at the moment, and there's there's many more set to open. I think about 10,000 apartments due to come on the market in the next, um, the next three years. Um, so we think that that's... That's a really great option for tenants because then they're dealing with very sophisticated landlords that, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, they've got this, this offering that kind of goes above and beyond what you would get with a mum and dad investor because, you know, they have build-to-rent buildings, have so many amenities and, mm. you know, they're really built for long-term tenants. They want, you know, pets are always allowed yep. and you're allowed to paint the walls and make minor modifications, things like that. Um and yeah, so we, we think that's a really great option to offer tenants. So yeah, we've been working with a few build-to-rent companies to get those onto the platform as well. Yeah, interesting. And with those build-to-rent buildings, are they the ones that sort of have like a single bedroom in there and then shared amenities or like all on a single floor? No, or how is that? That's co-housing, I co-housing. think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so no, they're, they're self-contained yeah. apartments, yeah. but then they do have the they do have the amenities. So it's 
I guess it's it's more like being in a, a strata building. So they've got like a joint pool or gym, yeah. bike shed. Community areas. Whatever. They might even have a yeah. cinema. They might have areas where you can, you know, book it for your family. To get yeah, exactly. Like they that. have a lot yeah. of extras as well. Yep. So they have like quiet workspaces, yeah. areas you can yep. book for parties. And they have the concierge service. It's kind of a cross between a hotel and a, a strata building, you know. Yeah. Like it's just kind of sits between the two. But the, the benefit is because I, I lived in one of those buildings a long time ago where you had the concierge and they were great. You know, things where you needed anything, they yeah. just look after you. Do you post? I don't have to clean the pool, I don't have to clean the sauna or the spa or any of that kind of stuff. Mm. You just book that stuff, book rooms, whatever have you. But back then it was still the person who I was renting it off um, was your traditional landlord. And yeah. so you always had the idea that, well, I'm loving living here, but who knows? Next year they might choose to move in or want to sell it, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas this build to rent model is, it's a long-term lease. Yeah. I, can, I can really park myself here and really make it home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's what they want. They want tenants that want to stay yes. long-term. And that's yeah. something that we found with our research that tenants really struggled with. They always feel like they're about to get thrown yes. out, you know? Uh, for, for whatever reason. It's one of the biggest challenges for, for tenants is that, that security. Yeah. On well, the anxiety around, yes. you know, my term is just about to come up, that email that you send off, you're like, I'd like to extend, and then you wait, wait you wait. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you wait even longer and you get the email back, usually just on the time that you either have to renew or you move on. So it gives yeah. you very limited um, options and then you're in a frantic scramble to then uh, find a new home. Yeah. But uh, that's where the whole build, yeah, that's where the whole build to rent model now in Australia is really starting to, to come to life. And yeah. you've got big players that are investing in that space. But, you know, it, it, it feeds off the back of we often talk about how hard it is to get into the property market mm -hmm. and the whole idea of rent vesting, rent where you want to live and invest where you can afford, but you still have that risk when you're renting somewhere, for example, here in Manly where we are right now, great local public school. Families love coming to the area so they can send their children to this particular school. And so you find a great home, you move in, spend all the time moving in, finding the right place. Twelve months later, you're asked to leave for whatever reason. Yeah. And now you're stressing because you're like, I can't find another place in Manly. Do I have to take my children out of the school? And it's all of those things, that, that security, that lack of security that's really fueling, you know, um, that underlying anxiety that's felt by a lot of tenants. And the whole idea of now build to rent where you can... Now you can really invest Relax. where you can, yeah. rent where you want to be, and really build a life there and a home there. Yeah. And so how do those contracts, they have sort of longer-term leasing contracts put in place, or do you have like extensions with automatic um, increases built in? Uh, so you can choose the term of the lease. Uh, runs from six months to, uh, I think, three years, and then you just input whatever time period you want. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then so, and then each year the rent would then automatically go up, or you negotiate all these different terms. Uh, with yeah, that, I mean that's on individual landlords. Obviously, across different states, there's different yeah. rules about rental increases, things yeah. like that. They have to be written into the lease. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's that's going to be on an individual basis. But you are able to renew the lease through the app. The app, and, and your app is national. Uh, currently in New South Wales, we are working away at the moment to implement. Um, the other states. Yes, cool. Each state has its own lease yes, requirements. It does. Yes. Um, so we're busy building out the templates for all of those uh, at the moment. And I'm super intrigued about the rating system that you've created and how you swipe left, you swipe right, <laughs> you, you come across a, a property, no, no, yes, yes, no. Or when you're looking for a tenant, it's like, no, <laughs> no, yes. How did, how, how did you build the attributes? How did you build that out and the whole rating system behind it? 
Um, so, I mean, to be honest, like, I, I haven't built the app. I don't know yep. the technical okay. side about yes. how that was built. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we just wanted to do it so that tenants are able to present themselves in the best way possible. Yeah, okay. So they're able to upload their documentation. They're able to sort of have a full application yeah. ready to go. Um, so obviously, initially, you'll just see a screen, a photo, a rating, and some basic details. Yeah. But they, you can then dig into that and you know get the the employment history, the references. Yep. Um, we've got a space to upload pet details, yeah. and photos, the the pet resume, um, and obviously at the moment <laughs> with vacancy rates so low, yes. it's really important for tenants to be able to stand out. Mm. Um, and it was also important for us to encompass history from overseas because that was obviously one of my biggest problems. Um, so yeah, so we just wanted to allow tenants to present themselves in the, the best way that they possibly can. Um, and then obviously from the landlord side as well, I mean, you, you build a property, a profile for your property. Um, and then we have sort of features that you can tick off and list and use that as a search criteria as well. Mm. Interesting. What is a pet resume? <laughs> <laughs> a pet resume. The fra- I believe the phrase was coined by rent.com.au. They have um, they have pet resumes. Um, so I don't mean to steal their, their phrase. But um, it just allows you to, to put a picture and description of your pet, uh, which I think is super important. So I'm a dog owner. I have two dogs. If I tick a box on a form that says I have pets, it's just like, no, no yeah. thanks. Um, but like they're toy poodles, they're this big, you know, like they're super cute. And as soon as you show a photo, it's like, yeah, okay. They're like, fit in your pocket. They're not going to do anything. I like my dog, Alan, who is a St. Bernard. He's a massive St. Bernard. He's big, but he's got such a cute face. He loves man. (laughs) Right. So if you just put a picture on there, it's a done deal. Yes. Very cute. So yes. that, that's all it is. It's you just you show pet off your pet. Yeah. yeah, love it. Yeah, and I guess as a landlord, when you look at that, if I'm just looking at an application and I see two pet dogs, I'm like, oh, okay, are they Rottweilers? <laughs> yeah. are they poodles, and those two dogs are very, very different. Um, so they're gonna obviously need more space or yes. less space depending on um, the type of animal that they are. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's such a good idea. Yeah, and so New South Wales at the moment, landlords are still able to specify no pets. Um, but Australia generally is kind of changing that. So Victoria passed their laws uh, last year saying landlords are not allowed to refuse pets anymore. Uh, Queensland last week implemented yep. the same law. Super exciting. So hopefully New South Wales won't be far behind. Yep. Because, you know, at, at the moment people are struggling to find a home, but people with pets... It's just it's just impossible. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think with vacancy rates as low as what they are, um, it's going to be very difficult for tenants. And there's also an influx of Australians moving back to Australia, taking up those properties, and they're not making more available because they're coming back. That rental property is now coming off the market, and an owner occupier is moving in meaning there's a surplus of renters looking for property. But I think with the amount of people buying property now for an investment, um, that's actually increased significantly over the last sort of 12 months. So that rent, that supply of new property coming onto the market should hopefully start to ease that. I think most of the Australians have gotten home now um, that wanted to come back. Um, so hopefully that sort of starts to balance out and um, it'll be easier for tenants to sort of find somewhere to uh, house their families and make a home. I think I, I disagree with that. Okay, why is that? Uh, so I think overall, obviously, people are getting into buy their first properties 
Um, the you know the conditions really favourable at the moment. The interest rates are so low, um, but they will start to go up again. And <coughs> the, the the wealth divide, I believe, is just getting bigger and it bigger. Is. You know, the older Australians are becoming richer and richer because all of their um, all of their money is in their property, which is going up and up in value. And the younger Australians, they are. Um, I can't remember where I read it, but apparently, if you're under thirty, it's the only age the only age group where wages are actually decreasing um, and it's just you know so impossible for them to get onto the property ladder so uh, like I know like there's there's build to rent apartments coming coming but you know is there actually more property becoming available like I, I don't know that there is really mm. and you know we're going to have international students coming back we're going to have, you know, those tourists and backpackers coming back. There's going to be so much demand for rentals. Uh, it's actually really scary. Like, I don't know where these properties are going to come from, well, you know. Yes, and people right. are moving out of the cities because now, you know, they're yep. used to working from home. They want that lifestyle. They want to live by the beach. And these rural towns are just, you know, they've got nowhere else. Like, the vacancy rates are zero. There's nowhere for people to go. Yep. So, you know, I'd I'd love to think that the situation's improving, but I just don't believe it is. And the, and, the, and the fuel for fire on that at the same time is when immigration starts to open up again, but also when the younger end of the, the millennial spectrum start to move out of home. They, got a, yeah. they need a place to live too. And there's quite a large portion of, the, of society that fits within that age bracket. And so they're saying over the next few years, um, we need to increase our supply. Of housing, yeah, and yet we're so archaic, um, especially here in New South Wales, with regards to the approval process of releasing um, land, of the infrastructure keeping up, um, and now, as you said before, now with you know as a result of COVID, the flexibility of now being able to not necessarily have to live in the city, um, putting pressure on regional areas at the same time, which cannot keep up because yeah. there was always limited stock available in those particular areas. It'd be interesting to see over the next few years as the current perceived surplus gets soaked up, what that really looks like. Yeah. Yeah, and also property prices in those CBD areas or central like Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane have gone up significantly over the last sort of 12 to 24 oh months. Oh, my God, it's mind-blowing. But, but, but then also regional areas have exploded yep. as well, especially yep. with people looking for a tree change or a sea change. Um, you know, they've seen as good a growth as those uh, metropolitan areas as well. So, yeah, it's making it very difficult, I guess, for people trying to get on that property ladder it's, it's impossible yeah. it's impo and that's why you know that's that's why i wanted to to speak to to you guys at brickler yep. because you know what what you're doing there is such a good idea it's it's like i feel like it's going to be the only option people yeah. have yep. of actually getting on the property ladder but then you've got this whole thing about you know the disillusionment of millennials and do they even want to get on the property ladder um like are they are they still buying into this like this whole there's thing? A, there's definitely a change, you know. And I was reading an article in the AFR, I think it was the AFR the other day, about how even now as we're starting to opening up here again in, for example, in Greater Sydney, how a lot of that millennial generation are actually not going back to the casual style of work that they were doing before, that they had been dabbling in crypto trading yeah. and even buying ETFs and, all, and, and switching on a certain investor-style mindset saying, 
you know what, I'm not going back necessarily just to hand to mouth or a personal exertion style of income. I'm going to work at how I can make this money that they've accumulated because they've been in lockdown. Yeah. Quite a bit of savings now sitting in Australian accounts. Um, making a go out there and work for them. And looking at things like, you know, property fragments or the Bricklet platform or ETFs or, you know, smarter ways of buying into the into the share market or crypto trading. It's, it's again, it's another interesting thing that will be, you know, unwrap over the next, uh, you know, period of time. And there's that infinite possibility yes. with it, you know. Yes. Like, if you go back to uh, a waitressing job or, you know, to kind of, exchanging time for money yes. like you, you know where you're going to be in a year yep. in two years in five years you're going to be in the same place yes you know whereas with crypto it's like I okay know. i can I try know. it from home yeah. i can learn it myself and i might be a millionaire yeah, you might. <laughs> you know, right. like, i'll give it a whirl yeah <laughs> i was speaking with some millennials and it's interesting the sort of the boomers have used property to really um grow a lot of their their wealth that was mm-hmm. the opportunity that they had in front of them also with some businesses and now that millennial crowd really looks at um this new way of investing, this new type of sort of asset class, as a, a way that they can potentially make money. It is fraught with danger because there are a lot of cryptocurrencies out there just run by absolute charlatans. That's a lot. So west. Yep. Yeah, so you have to be very um, careful. But there are a lot of um, young people making a lot of money. So a client of mine actually um, lent his son uh, $10,000 about four years ago and um, just didn't think about it again. And I was talking to him, I said, oh, so what's your son doing? He said, oh, he doesn't work. Um, you know, five years ago, he invested in some cryptocurrency and, and now he funds his own lifestyle. And I was like, wow. wow. So he's turned $10,000 into, I'm not sure how much, but a significant amount of money where this uh, 28-year-old young man is pretty much living free. So, well, in his dad's house still, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a very, very interesting uh, asset class to have um, a look at. But uh, that was a great segue into Bricklet. And look, the, the idea of what Bricklet's trying to do for the marketplace is make property investment accessible yeah. to everybody. Uh, and then also try and say, uh, solve some of those challenges for tenants as well. Because one of those biggest challenges is the owner may move back in or the owner may sell. When a property goes onto the Bricklot platform, there is no one owner who's going to move back in and that property will, will very unlikely come off the platform. So that property is going to be an investment property for a very, very long time. So if that tenant wants to stay there for 3, 5, 10, 25 years, well, it's probably or very, very likely that yeah. it's going to be on that investment platform. So it solves a huge um, concern for most tenants. And it's the the whole deposit thing as well, right? Because saving oh, yes. for saving for the deposit seems to be the biggest the biggest issue. Uh, and I was listening to a podcast the other day with Michael Yardney and Tim Wilson. Oh, yes. They were discussed it discussing um, how what <laughs> what people used to use as their deposit um, since they I think nineteen ninety two has now been taken away and put into superannuation. So the government kind of decided that superannuation is more important than people owning homes. So that 10% of your wages that you're earning is now going into super and you don't have that extra income to save up for a deposit. So, you know, we need to come up with new ways of doing this. The old ways don't work anymore. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you've also got to remember the way that people historically save for a home deposit is you put money into a term deposit or cash and then you grow that. So when my dad was saving for his first home deposit in the late 70s, you know, interest rates were like 10%. They got up to sort of 18%. So the return that you're making on your money is a significant amount, basically risk-free because you've got Aussie dollars, you're going to buy Aussie property. Um, Whereas now, if you're trying to use that same strategy where you're making 
half a percent, 0.1 of a percent on your cash rate. So your capital is not growing. So also for um, people looking at saving up to their first home, investing in that particular asset class. So if that property asset class is going up in value, well, your capital is going up at least as fast as what you're trying to buy later on down the track. Yeah, so yeah, Bricklet solves a couple of those um, issues for people. And it, I think it's going to be revolutionise the way that people yeah. look at investing in property in the future. I think yeah, so and, it, and it's, it's like anything, you know, it, it may have worked back then. And if you keep trying and hoping that it's just going to work again now. Keep or, doing the same thing, expecting your different oh, that's outcomes. What I think Einstein <laughs> said that exactly right. Where you've got to, you know, challenge the current thinking. And you're kind of crazy if you don't. If yeah. you just accept it and say, well, this is what everybody's doing. It's what's comfortable. It's what um, our parents told Yes, to that's right. And which is what I love about your story, Eleanor, you know. Convention would have been would have said, you know, you worked hard to become a chartered um, financial analyst. Like I said before, that's no mean fit. That takes a lot of work. And a lot of people would wake up 10, 20, 30, 40 years later going, well, I stuck at it, but wow, where's my life? Yeah. I wasn't able to to live out all my purpose and my strengths and there wasn't a bigger thing for me to tie into, but it was comfortable. It's what society expected. It's what convention said I should do. It was a good paid job. It was a well-paid job. I worked hard for it, but you chose to break that convention, to step outside of that, which is really what the rebellious investor is all about. For us, it's not about not adhering to the laws, but it's about living out your true authentic life story. And if anybody's doing that, then they are a rebellious investor. They're not just running along with it, you know, the tide of life, which really, you know, and so when you, you know, when you made those choices, that would not have been easy. And like you were saying before, when you stepped into the um, uh, dwell nicely business, you would have had to invest not just resources, financial resources, but into yourself, understanding how to run this particular style of yeah. business. Take us, you know, through some of that. Oh stuff. wow, yeah, it was it was a steep learning curve because I thought, you know, I've I've owned my own business before. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> no, yeah. no, yeah. Um, so that that whole year that I was on maternity leave, I was, um, you know, I was I was investing in myself. I was doing a lot of personal growth, personal yeah. development. I was doing sales courses, marketing courses, social media courses. Uh, my husband would just <laughs> he would get so annoyed with me because he'd be like. It's the weekend, you're on maternity leave, why are you still working? And I'd be like, I've got to learn this stuff, yeah. you know? Like, I'm, I'm taking a massive risk, I'm giving up a well-paid job, uh, I have, you know, I have a baby now, yeah. I need to make sure that I know what I'm doing, I need to be the best version of me that I can be. Um, and that kind of just led me on this, um, this incredible journey of exponential growth and um, and like spiritual growth and um, just just wanting to wanting to learn and loving that process of learning. Um, yeah. And then I started. Oh, I don't know if either of you guys have tried out um, Clubhouse. So I started on Clubhouse. What's Clubhouse. Um, oh, yeah. uh, it's it's a it's a social media it's a social media app, but basically it's just audio. So if you imagine the the days of old where um, you'd go into a chat room on the internet, you know, when the internet yeah. first started, you go into a chat room and just chat to random people. It's kind of like that, but it's just all audio. Oh, wow. Okay. So you go into a room, like they put up a subject, this is what we're talking about. Um, and that introduced me to a whole range of other things. Um, and, 
you know, you can learn so much on there. And then I was spending hours on there and I had to get rid of it. Because <laughs> again, I was just like, you know, I'd be at home doing the chores and I'd have Clubhouse in the background. <laughs> hours and hours. Um, but yeah, so it was, yeah, just investing myself. Learn, yes. learn, learn. Just listening to you speak about all of that, I can really feel and hear the passion uh, and, you know, you striving to obviously being the best version of yourself. Like I say that all the time, you know, because, you know, being successful, it's a journey and we're always growing, setting yeah. goals, striving towards those, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back to go forward, but um, also just being an avid learner and having an understanding that there is so much in this world um, that you just don't know. And you've just got to try and learn the little bits that you can and then try and find those really great mentors or people that have got more yeah. experience than you to make sure that you don't make those big mistakes and blow up that really successful business or whatever it is that you're looking to do. Those things are just so vital. But anyone who's looking at sort of starting their own venture, if you don't have that kind of drive, that passion, that fire to make it successful, you know, it's really, really hard. And, and that's it, why so many businesses fail, I think. Yeah, in the first three years, something like 90%. Yeah. It's yeah. not because you don't know what you're doing. It's because you're not willing to learn what to do. Yeah. yeah I think. It's no different to people who buy an investment property, typically sell it within five years because they go, oh, it's not doing what I thought it's it would do. It's not making me loads of yes. money whilst no, I, I do nothing to yeah. it. <laughs> but hang on, what actually did you think it was going to do? Oh, um, I don't know. Well, there you go. I you think know? that's a common misconception as well with property investing in particular. People think that they're going to be making a lot of money, but actually most of the money you're making is in your capital growth, so you're not actually seeing it. Which is another good thing about Bricklet, the fact that you yes. can get your rental, you yes, know, guaranteed, yes. sort of almost guaranteed rental payments yes. from very early on yep um but yeah generally speaking most you know a lot of that rental payment is going to be going to your mortgage and then doing repairs and actually you're not going to see that massive growth until you sell the property at the end and you're like oh right. look how much it appreciated yeah, in this crazy right. property market yeah that's right <laughs> Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting how uh, you say that with most investors. They really don't think through that whole process. So a lot of first-time property investors, they don't actually do a cash flow analysis to have an understanding of what that net cash flow is going to look like on a monthly, annual basis. Uh, and they really think, well, I'm going to invest in property. Everyone else has told me that it's going to be really easy and I'm just going to be making money. Just going to take those rental payments. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, start funding my new brand new car. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And even when interest rates as low as what they are um, still finding those positively geared properties is very difficult and it's a it's a it's a specialist way to go and, buy. and most people don't put the time into actually doing the research um, on and then buying an investment property as well like rich areas so yeah so interesting so would you say you're more of a landlord advocate or a tenant advocate uh, at this point, I would have to say more of a tenant advocate, um, just because as part of um, you know part of a brand outreach type. Um, project for Dwell. I started a, a TikTok channel, and um, you know, I was just doing rental tips, and you know, trying to, you know, just try and grow the brand. You know, yep, yep. we're Dwell. This is what we do. Uh, and in that process, we had so many tenants coming to me asking questions, and you know, I'm I'm not an expert in real estate. I don't have a real estate background, so I actually started studying my real estate um, mm -hmm. certificate because. People are now coming to me. So we have about 14,000 followers now. Wow. Okay. And I get inundated with questions all the time. 
because tenants don't know where to go. You know, when, when you're moving out of home, you don't research into what, what are my obligations? What are my rights as a tenant? No, you say, what property can I afford? How yeah. close can I be to the beach? You know, like, where are my friends at? You, you don't do any research into actually being a tenant. And so when an issue happens, you don't know what to do, especially if you reach out to your, um, to your real estate agent and, you know, they, they don't reply, which yeah. happens sometimes. Sometimes. You, you're just like, <laughs> I don't know what to do. So, yeah. so, yeah, so I've kind of actually considered myself now a bit of a, a tenant advocate because um, I'm out there, you know, helping people and answering questions. And, and that's one of the things about Dwell that actually really has ignited my passion um, I think doing something where you're able to help people, where you have people writing to you saying, thank you so much, you helped me secure a home, you know? Like, I just got goosebumps saying that. Yeah, <laughs> like, being able to do something like that for somebody, just almost as a side project, like as something I didn't even think about, is so rewarding. And, and that's what's really got me fired up and really made me super passionate about the whole, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think if you're a tenant or a property buyer, you need to understand who's paying the real estate agent. So whoever's paying the real estate agent, that's how they make money, that's who that agent works for. Yeah. So if you're the tenant, the actual property manager works for the landlord. Yeah. If you're buying a property, that agent is actually working for the, the seller, yeah. the vendor. So, yeah, sometimes those relationships, people get a little bit confused. They're like, oh, why, why aren't you helping me? And that's why. So, yeah, coming out as a tenant advocate and providing all those um, resources for people would be such a great um, resource for people out there because you just don't know where to go. And you're up against people who know all the legislation. They know all the tricks. They have a thorough understanding. They do this all the time. Where if you're a tenant, you might move properties like once every couple of years and you're only dealing with these things every now and again so that's great yeah. well done yeah we're, we're working at the moment on putting together um a webinar on sort of making your application stand out so one of the things that we've been asked so many questions about recently is how can i get an, like yeah. how can i get a property yeah. please tell me please tell me um so yeah so it's going to be my first ever webinar i'm trying my hand at it um, cool. I want to do it live so that I can answer people's questions. I think you're going to get a lot of questions because I, I think I heard yeah. the other day that it's getting so competitive out there that people are now saying, I'll pay you 12 months rent in advance. Down, yeah. Just to try and cut through to get the property. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's, it's happening a lot. And also sort of Dutch auctions, yeah. like, you know, rent will be from this price. So you put your application in with what you're willing to pay. And yeah, next minute you know, it's not even close to this way. Yeah. Oh, it's it's doggy dog out there at the moment. So yeah, I just want to do like if there's something I can do, I want to I want to do it. You know. Well, it sounds like you know the whole idea of dwell nicely is ticking the boxes for you at the moment where you are at life at the moment. Yeah. Um, and obviously really feeding into that um, that passion side of yours, which is really supporting you know people, especially in this environment, the the tenant experience and being a a voice for them and, and and trying to create something that's going to improve that overall experience with uh, with dwell nicely out yeah 100 yeah. that's, that's really cool what i want to do great so ray in wrapping up do you want to go for some of your uh, couple of rapid fire questions rapid fire questions oh, gosh. okay what's the <laughs> first thing you do in the morning uh gratitude oh i spend nice. three minutes thinking of stuff i have i'm grateful for from the day before and what do you do to unwind 
watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> watch uh, really crap shows on Netflix. I, the worst. The I gotta be honest. I'm called. The, yeah, I'm a bit of a binge TV person. Yeah. To switch off, I can just sit there, and I don't even know what I'm watching. It just clicks by. What's the favorite thing that you own right now? What's your favorite thing that you own right now? Can I say my dogs? Yes. Dogs? <laughs> yes, you can. Of course. You got you got two of them, right? Two, yeah, two. My little two toy poodles. But you, Matt, got any questions? Uh, favorite food. Uh, oh, oh as a foodie, Lebanese food was the oh. one that just came straight into my mind. Then I haven't had it since selling the restaurant. Probably, I don't think I have. Um, but yeah, Lebanese food, I love. Yeah. And favourite place in the world, if you could be anywhere now, other than here, obviously, and then why? <laughs> With here, LA. I love LA. LA I tried yeah. to move out there uh, a while back, and then I met my husband, so I stayed here. Um, but I just love it. I've always been obsessed with the US, always been obsessed. And, um, yeah, LA just, I don't know. I don't know why. Like, I know it's a really kind of superficial place and... Um, you know, it, it gets a, a bit of a bad rep, but like, that's there's cool. just everything there, you know, there's just everything like there's the desert and there's mountains and there's beaches and there's, you know, all the shops and celebrities. Like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Interesting. And then, so when you're thinking all the way back when, um, when you were looking to choose or going to the US or coming to Australia, what made you come here? Uh, it was an accident. So I, I don't, I don't think <laughs> things through a lot. So I'm, I'm one of those people, like I go with my intuition. I, I'll jump into something. I'll have an idea and I'll be like, yeah, okay, that's what I'm doing now. Uh, so I was on a round the world backpacking trip. I went through Southeast Asia. I got to Australia. I met up with a friend of mine, um, who I used to work with in London. She was Aussie. So she'd moved back here and she was like, do you want to stay? Like I can get you a job. Uh, I was like three days into my my trip and I was like yeah okay so the GFC had just happened I knew the job market back home was rubbish and the US was going to be the next stop on my trip okay. and I didn't get there because I just decided to stay here instead there you go yep. well thank you so much for spending some time with us how can our listeners uh, get in contact with you what are some of your online handles uh, so TikTok if you have rental questions we are at dwell and score nicely I run a Facebook group um, called Tenants and uh, Tenants slash Renters Free Advice and Help Group Australia. Ooh. Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful. Um, but you can get, there's a bunch of industry professionals in there that help me answer questions. People are actually working in real estate. Um, so if you have any questions, you can go there. And then www.dwellnicely.com is awesome. our website. Great, awesome. fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining no us worries. today. No It's lovely me. to find out a bit more about you and your, your story. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a fantastic day. Thanks, yep. guys. Bye, everyone. Remember, this podcast is not personal advice, but meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. Each host and any guests are providing their own personal opinion and is not providing professional, financial or any advice. The material provided does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. For more details, please review our full disclaimer located on our podcast website. Wow, that was a mouthful, but we got there. Speak to you soon. Speak to you soon.